Hello, I am Yogini Sunita, and this is Meditation, Yoga, and Stuff podcast. I believe my dharma or my life's purpose is to share my understanding of meditation, yoga, and Ayurveda, holistic healing science of India. I make these amazing wisdoms accessible and adaptable for present time. So let's start. I'm going to talk about Bhagavad Gita and this is a wonderful topic very close to my heart. So I'm going to talk about what is Bhagavad Gita to begin with. You may have heard about it and we need to try and understand Bhagavad Gita in context of Mahabharata. It's a really amazing story. We can call it Game of Thrones of India, ancient India I should say and it's all about becoming king but this story reveals the mahabharata reveals the family drama basically and it also tells us what is the right behavior what is wrong behavior and things like that so let me give you some background about mahabharata so mahabharata it was war between two cousins two sides of cousins and one side there were 100 and then other side there were five cousins and the thing is both sides when we hear their story they both feels right and so we sit back and we start thinking that who is right here and then from here the story goes on there is a lot of back story about the 100 brothers even the generations before how this story came towards the war between two sides of cousins and then these cousins are now facing each other in battlefield and who is krishna krishna here is is he deity well here krishna is also one of the cousins from mother's side from arjuna so we need to understand that these are relatives and krishna decided that he will not pick up a weapon but then arjuna suggest him can you be my arjuna is one of the prince from the five brothers and uh, he suggests that can you be my charioteer so charioteer also guide also works as a boosting the morale of the warrior charioteer <coughs> is krishna now arjuna is one of the five brothers who is amazing warrior and he has never lost a war in his life he is known for his amazing skills as a warrior and this fierce warrior here is now protecting his we can say his pride his land his principles also and what's happening is the 100 brother the the leader of the 100 brothers the cousins is not even giving them inch of land he said even in the words like i will not give you land uh, even on the tip of a pin and by their birthright the brothers have the cousins five brothers have right to have this land so this is where now both sides stand against each other and it's not just both sides because the family now has to take part in this as well so arjuna's grandfather who him loves so much is standing against him 
from his cousin's sides because his grandfather has taken an oath that whoever is on the throne, I'm going to support them. And the hundred brothers' father is on the throne at the moment. So he has to support these hundred brothers. Then the guru, Arjuna's guru, is also on the other side. And Arjuna's guru is recruited by the hundred brothers, the king, to give education to all hundred and plus these five cousins. So now, these are just few examples. This is like, there's so many people against him and so many people supporting him. And he's, he's standing there and he is looking at the... So the war used to happen very ethically in India that time. So in the morning, there used to be a couch where that was announcing the war starts. And in the evening, war used to, there was a, another couch when the war used to finish and they used to do the cremation ceremony for the dead. Doesn't matter which side they are from. And it was quite amazingly, there were a lot of ethical uh, things in that. So before this war starts, Arjuna is standing in front of the line to lead his people. And he looks at all his relatives, his teachers in front of him, and he has to fight them. And this doesn't sit right with him. He has melted down. He almost like starts shaking. And this is a warrior who has never lost any war. This is the warrior, which unbeatable warrior. And he is now suffering from total meltdown. So now here comes the Krishna. Krishna is asking him what, what happened. And Arjuna says, how can I fight with these people, you know, who are my loved ones, who I respect so much, how can I fight them? And here the question, Arjuna goes into total meltdown. The meltdown where he is completely, almost lost the plot. He uh, start asking question, what's the point? What's the point of all this? If I had to fight against my loved ones. So the question goes for quite some time. If you have experience in your life, situations where you're going to a total meltdown, or if you have seen someone going through that, or if you have seen someone going through panic attack, or if you have experienced these kind of things, anxiety, that's what he was going through. He was literally asking question about everything. What is life? What's the point? And this is where Krishna starts answering his questions. Now, Krishna is, we can call it our higher self, our buddhi or the divine self within us. And the divine within us is answering these questions. So the questions when Arjuna asked that, why should I fight? Why do I have to fight this war? And here Arjuna asking this question, literally shaking and Krishna tells him that because it is your dharma, it is your life's purpose. And Arjuna asks, who decides this? What is this all about? Then the concept of the karma also comes in that you have taken a birth as a warrior. You have responsibility of so many people's life in your hands and as a warrior you need to protect them and you need to fight this war. Now 
while this dialogue is happening and this question answer happening we don't know how much time has lapsed but there are 700 verses in bhagavad gita and all these verses the discussion is all about these questions arise in our life as well and then arjuna is not convinced like it is my dharma why you're saying these things and krishna goes on explaining in detail so he talks about the secrets of the life he talks about what is yoga he talks about yoga as a meditation so here krishna gives the secret of the yoga as a meditation and if we see what is true yoga is yoga is meditation the physical movement as we know is very tiny part of yoga the whole wisdom of yoga is very vast and asana is tiny tiny part of it so yoga of the meditation then krishna talks about the karma yoga karma yoga means where we work or continue working without any expectation of the fruit or without the thought given to the fruit we just continue working and the reward may come may not come doesn't matter here arjuna the warrior prince needs to do his dharma to fight this war now arjuna also ask why you are pushing me towards the war and here krishna explains that you as a warrior it is your dharma to save your people and protect your people so you have to take this weapon and fight this war now another concept we see also here is the three gunas the sattva rajas tamas the mind this is all explained by krishna and also krishna shows arjuna when arjuna ask krishna that how do you know this answer and this is where krishna shows his cosmic form and his cosmic form is where he shows that he is everywhere and then the concept of atma parmatma is explained so this is a lot of things to unpack here this is the top layer the next layer is where the war is really not happening outside of arjuna but it is happening within and the five brothers represent arjuna is shown symbolically five brothers so the five brothers is symbol of panchamahabhuta also arjuna chariot has five horses and these five horses means our five senses and these are unruly horses only krishna can control them they are beautiful horses they are white beautiful horses but very strong but they are unruly and you needed someone like krishna who is a expert charioteer to make sure these horses going in right direction and then krishna himself is a symbolism of our higher self our intellect the higher intellect the buddhi and our buddhi the intellect has all these answers but when we don't listen to it we come to the war and who is this war with the 100 brothers is actually symbolizes as our thoughts because hundreds of thoughts we have hundreds of thoughts right and they're constantly moving and some thoughts are actually good thoughts so in this war also 
some brothers are fighting with arjuna and some cousins are fighting with arjuna and others are fighting against him and this tug of war happening in his mind and which is literally this strong warrior has literally has become literally non moving being he is completely lost the plot he is completely shaking he is not able to even hold his bow and arrow so he has come to this situation where there is total meltdown we don't know how much time has lapsed but the whole bhagavad gita happens on this war field and if we look at this take this symbolism into our day to day life our hundreds and thousands of our thoughts are constantly there and we have to choose to some thoughts working with us and some thoughts are working against us and we have to acknowledge that these are working against us even though they are our thoughts and we have to let them go so this is the concept of like 100 cousins and five cousins fighting against each other and most of the time our negative thought are bigger in quantity and our positive thoughts are less in quantity but they are strong but when this bombardment of 100 thoughts is constantly hundreds of thoughts is constantly happening the five even though they are good thoughts kind of like lose the <clears throat> war they start self doubting and they start asking questions that what i am doing you know and this self doubt comes from this questioning with our uh, what's happening in our mind and basically these thoughts are in plenty so they are always there and we have to take uh, basically take a stand against that that no this is my dharma this is my path this is what i'm choosing and here also we know subconsciously that even though say if you're doing any project and you start the project with lots of hopes and lots of you know intention that this will be successful but you really don't know what's going to happen because there are things outside of your control these things which are outside of your control are going to come up and here we need to understand that when these things come up we have to again without even thinking of the reward if we continue our work we may get bigger reward we may not get even acknowledgement doesn't matter because the joy is that journey journey of doing this project which you have and this is where krishna talks about there is a verse called karmanevadikaraste mafaleshu kadachana that means that continue your work without thinking of the reward and you will notice that everything falls in its place so this is one of the concept then other concept we learn from this bhagavad gita is karma yoga so when we say yoga in modern world what images come in mind is basically people into different pretzel poses you know doing different standing on their head and things like that that's what social media is pushing on our face but the true yoga is also if you're doing the work with your joy and your heart that is your yoga that is the yoga and you will see the examples around the world i don't know if you heard about the hugging amma this is a beautiful woman from india and she had a very horrible childhood abused by her brother physically beaten 
to death every day almost and one day she saw krishna and krishna gave her this wisdom that she went home and hugged her brother and that completely transformed his mind and she is known as hugging amma she hugs people without any expectation and she is not expecting anything you can donate if you want and from donation she runs the food camps for old people runs hospitals things like that so this is what example can be like you know doing your work without any expectation this is she is completely devoted to krishna and she is constantly talking krishna and when you hug her all she says that my child my baby in your language so she is amazing she is absolutely beautiful i had really beautiful experience whenever she comes here i make sure that i go and hug her it's a really beautiful experience and this kind of like selfless services uh what basically is karma yoga another thing is bhakti yoga we see the yoga of heart and this compassion this absolute surrender to the divine is bhakti yoga and you will see that in modern world we see that beautiful examples of bhakti yoga around us the krishna consciousness is completely devoted to the bhakti yoga devoted to krishna and any type of devotion like this the complete devotion it gives or opens our heart fully and gives us that experience of compassion and love and that's why the bhakti yoga is very powerful and then krishna also talks about the three gunas here what is sattva and what is rajas and what is tamas so let's explore rajas first so what is rajas rajas is guna that means happening in this universe all these three qualities are there so whenever something is happening whenever something is moving it's rajas state of rajas so when we do movements that is state of rajas what will happen when we do excess of movement we'll get tired right and so the tiredness moves towards the tamas quality and we are mostly into this yo-yo of overdoing and crashing a lot of time a lot of time that happens crash and burn so what is tamas tamas is the state of rest inertia non doing it can be beautiful state we know through our relaxation practices of yoga that how beautiful it is but what if we just decide that this is the beautiful state and we're going to just sit on our couch and do nothing then that is not going to work right so that doing nothing is not going to work it will create imbalance so when we do the things in balance the rajas and tamas when we bring it in balance then it is going to create the state of sattva sattva is where we can say life balance sattva is where we can say that we do have a positive practices where instead of energy losing their energy gaining practices so all energy gaining practices are sattvic practices energy gaining food is sattvic food so you may say that you know 
any fizzy drink gives me energy with sugar that's a crash and burn energy so it is going to give you that energy but then the side effect of that is that it's going to be hit and then you are going to crash and that energy is going to come down so sustainable positive energy that is what sattva and sattva is very beautiful energy no matter what others say you will feel you will sense it in yourself say for example if you go to a amazing asana class and at the end of it the whole physical movements are balanced with breathing practice as well as relaxation practice and that after that relaxation practice you feel that oh wow you know this is such a beautiful feeling i want to stay in this feeling and that is the sattvic feeling so where else do we get sattva in our life so the sattva can come from food the sattva can come from the com- good company the sattva can come from the mother earth you know nature so all these are sattvic practices and this explanation of sattva is beautifully given in bhagavad gita and then also there are questions like that doing and non doing what is the concept of non doing so where krishna explains that sometimes you have to be a doer and sometimes you have to be a non doer and this concept of doing and non doing where it comes from what is this all about so this is where we come back to again our dharma here arjuna cannot just sit down and do nothing because he is the designated warrior he is the main warrior who is going to lead his people into this war and this war is necessary because the five brothers had tried everything in their life to stop this war but the 100 brothers kept pushing it to the point where this war was necessary and so the five brothers now had to stand their ground and because of the situation the story of mahabharata is so beautiful the situation is now where if the five brothers decide not to take this step they basically almost thrown to the dust the leader of 100 brothers had tried to kill the five brothers and he was unsuccessful and they know that if they say that no war we don't want your land but the 100 brothers will still come and try and kill them so he needs to take this stand and there are people who are dependent on him so he need to take this stand against these 100 brothers even though they are his relatives he has to take this stand now if we look at our hand this is what represent the five brothers so the first brother is dharma or yudhishthir where even though he is from warrior caste he is more of a heart of learned brahmin he knows all the dharmas he knows all the scriptures he is amazingly deep deeply educated being war is not his way of doing it so he also tried his best to stop this war then the second brother is arjuna who is the warrior so the first is dharma second is arjuna who is the warrior who is the 
one who is absolutely fantastic. He is really good in archery. Any weapon you give him, he is fantastic. His chosen weapon is archery. Then the next brother is Bhima. Bhima is very strong. He is absolutely strong and he is known for his strength. And then the twins, the younger twins who are really good in medicines. So all these five brothers united are very strong. And these brothers are now supported by some other kings as well. And they're all standing with them to fight this war. Now, when we look at our life, there comes this point where sometimes we have to decide that enough is enough. And this is where these five brothers are now, that they have gone through so much, they have been pushed around so much, that they need to take these weapons in their hands and they have to fight this war. Now, this war is against the gurus or the grandfather who they love so much. And these people have take, chosen to fight against the five brothers. And Krishna says that they are doing their duty and you have to do your duty. Now, when we sit outside and listen to all this, both sides seems correct. Now, Duryodhana, even though he is the leader of the hundred cousins, he is very much also loved and there are temples of him in India. So he was loved, he was just as well, but he got greedy and that greed of, you know, he could have simply divided the land between the two sides and this war was not necessary. After some time, some deliberation back and forth, the five brothers said, okay, just give us five towns, small towns and we are happy. And then the hundred brothers, the leader of that, Duryodhan said that, no, I'm not going to give you a tiny inch of land. Then it was too much for the five brothers and they said, okay, that's it. We are going to take the weapons in our hands and we're going to fight this war. So this is all happening in the war field. This is where the Krishna is answering the question about life and death. Now, how much time has passed? We really don't know. Because it could have been just few seconds and it's happening in Arjuna's mind. And it could have been 700 verses. Time has passed. A lot of questions are asked. A lot of answers are given. We don't know. But what happens after this is Arjuna do take that weapon in his hand and he does fight this war. Now, if we sit out and we think that how come a divine being as a Krishna is encouraging Arjuna to take weapon in his hand and fight against someone. And here Arjuna asked this question also, like why you are encouraging me to fight? And the questions Arjuna asked basically are the same questions which arise in our mind. Why me? Why I had to fight this war? Who am I to take all this burden on my shoulders? You know, all these questions which may arise in our mind in a situation like this. 
like where we are cornered and we have to do these things which we may not like but which are necessary to protect humanity at that point so the arjuna had to do this but arjuna's questions are really exactly what will come in our mind so he does ask these questions and krishna answers them now krishna answers them in a way like it's a, a very poetically krishna answers them that you are a warrior you have taken birth in a warrior caste and you are prince you cannot move back from your duties now here also the karma law of karma is explained that there is a reason why you have taken birth as this in this life as this prince and it is your duty that you need to fight this war then krishna also explains about the law of karma we also get the concept of atma parmatma we also get a concept of karma dharma all these are explained beautifully in this bhagavad gita just 700 verses and these 700 verses are full of wisdom of yoga this is where the mind is asking questions and the higher intellect which is krishna here is explaining these questions sometimes i have been asked is arjuna driven by egoic mind which mind i'm talking about so i'm answering this question here when we say egoic mind we start thinking that just the aggressive egoness no the shyness is also ego you know so all these thoughts are basically as egoic mind and here the ego is telling him that you know he shouldn't fight against this because these are his friends his family his loved ones and sometimes when we look at our, our own life sometimes we have to say no to our loved ones sometimes we have to stand up against them we can't just accept because they are loved ones everything they're doing is right and this is what basically represents here he needs to take that weapon against his loved ones even though it is extremely painful for him he has to do it and that's why you know for example parents kids standing against parents sometimes they have to rebel and this is what representation of that you will see that there are a lot of interpretation of bhagavad gita you will see that there are many many interpretations and this is what is amazing that every interpretation is fantastic and they taken these verses and try to understand and obviously their own sanskaras come into the play and they will make sense of it according to their life so this is what beauty of bhagavad gita is bhagavad gita is basically i always say that it's like a funnel you can see there are many concepts which are brought together and beautifully married together use them into how to live our life so there are, as i said that the the concept of sanatan dharma the concept of eternally living your life there were many many thought processes in ancient india and these thought processes from you know 
different way of living. One example can be that the divine is out there and so uh, Paramatma and this is Atma and if we live the life of surrendering and acknowledging the divine out there and we are a small part of that, then the Atma-Paramatma connection, you know, and living life of surrender. This is where the Bhakti Yoga, Bhakti Marga comes in. Okay, so Bhakti Marga is that. It's a a path of duality, something out there and we are here. Then also the path of oneness where the divine is within us. And you also see that Krishna says that I am within you. So you see that concept as well. So Krishna being within us, then we don't have to look out. We have Krishna constantly within us, you know, and that higher buddhi, we call it the voice. The higher mind is knows from right and wrong. This is where wisdom of yoga, we also call inner guru. And that is the inner guru is always there. It's just that our self-doubt, our hundreds of thoughts kind of like bring this self-doubt up. So these are a few concepts like, you know, and you can see all this is there in Bhagavad Gita. So all these, and these are just two thought processes. I said there are many, many, many thousands of thought processes which have like brought into Bhagavad Gita in woven them beautifully into throughout the Mahabharata and Bhagavad Gita is essence of that wisdom. And where just reading the Bhagavad Gita and meditating on that, contemplating on that, we get answers to our questions about the life, you know, about how to live our life. All this is true yoga, really. This internal war is always there, you know, and our self-doubt, our, say example, we're doing any project or anything, we always worry about, is it going to work? This is how many people will book in, what's going to happen? How will I pay my bills? All these are true worries. Yes. So we see that. And there are hundreds of them. And what you have is your self, you know, and you can't control the outside world. You can control the what is happening within. And this is where you do your practices. You do your karma and hope for the best it may happen it may not happen that's okay but at least you have done your dharma by doing your karma that's what is Bhagavad Gita talks about another question often asked is is there any reason why we're going through certain experiences and I'm answering that question here always reason why we go through these experiences and why we need to go through that and what we take from that. We always have, you know, lesson there and staying with that, understanding that. It's amazing how itself will be answered, you know. Another question I have been always asked is, when Indian children learn these wisdom of Bhagavad Gita or wisdom of Mahabharata or scriptures, is there any school? Is it part of your school or learning? Where do you learn this? And I'm answering that question here. Uh, <laughs> good question. So there is no such a thing as Sunday school or anything in India. You learn <laughs> you learn it as a part of life. So we have a lot of festivals. 
all the festivals are woven into these you know for example krishna's birthday or shiva's birthday and things like that and that increases curiosity and these stories my grandmother i came to know all about these stories from my grandmother my grandmother was blind but always used to chant the divine name and we kids love to sit around her and listen to the stories and that's how these stories were introduced to us and literally in the forms of stories and what child doesn't love story i mean there are literature courses yes but it's not woven into our public school education but the thing is growing up in india there is no escape you will learn about these things in form of stories and when we learn in the form of stories it does learn like a, there is a fantastical layer to it and imagine a child learning about kings and princes and princesses and you know and what happens about you know wars and it was all fantastical it was good for kids and also for grandparents because they kept that connection going and the the thing is that these stories grow with you yeah because there is so much of this wisdom is there so in our schooling we have some of our recent kings who lived like a very just life and so the king shivaji who was from my state was very just king so we have heard about his stories but then his stories also where his thought process came from it came from bhagavad gita so that's how you know and then he also like in the story format it is beautiful bhagavad gita as a child i remember like oh this is fantastic and then i grew up a little bit towards teenager i'm like oh oh that's what it meant so the stories grow with you as you start understanding more and more of life the story unpack more and more truth and we start understanding that you know for me it was interesting when i personally went through a meltdown I understood arjuna's dilemma and all these thought processes and i'm like oh my god how true is this and i had to choose now side here that what is right and what is wrong and how do i choose this side and both sides feel correct so what do i do here a lot of time there is no outside help we have to take this decision on our own because it's our life and we have to take that responsibility so we have to trust in our guts and take the step and again it may be right it may be wrong but that's life we have to make these decisions for ourselves and for our maybe family or people dependent on us just like arjuna had to take these decision to fight the war to help the people who are dependent on him so he had to do it and that's why krishna was suggesting as a child i always used to ask my grandmother but how come a god who is krishna wants arjuna to fight that doesn't sound right you know and uh, krishna actually breaks a lot of concept of the what we thought in india was god so krishna loves to live the life fully if you know the krishna's stories like how it is he enjoys the life so even the prasad or the offerings to krishna is not just one yummy food it is 56 types of foods offered to krishna so he is like he called bhogi and yogi bhogi means the person who really enjoys the pleasures of life 
So he is a bogi and yogi. He had many wives. And all this is basically, you can see that why Krishna is that, that he is the God who says that here in this context in Bhagavad Gita, that he is the being, divine being who is full of life. He enjoys the life. It's not like a life of renouncing. He is not suggesting that. And uh, he's in fact suggesting that stay here and you can still be enlightened. And that's why Krishna is more loved by a lot of people because he's not talking about go and live in jungle or Himalayas and renounce everything. In fact, he's suggesting that stay here, be yogi here in this now. And that's the beauty of Krishna's response. So basically ethically living his life. He had many wives, but the reason for that was is they were the princesses who were stolen from their home and they were basically it was captured by a demon and then Krishna went and saved them and they said, who is going to marry us? And Krishna said, I will. And so he basically liberated them from the Indian point of view. If you see that at that time, if a girl is lived other than father's house, then she's not, you know, pure enough to marry. And so he liberated these girls by marrying them. And so he also used to wear beautiful silks and things like that. So he loved to live his life to fullest. And also at the same time, he was true yogi from heart. So that's the Krishna who is giving the Bhagavad Gita, explaining what is life basically through Bhagavad Gita. Like basically it's a question and answer here and these are questions asked about basically what is life and why as a human being we have to go through this and what is the answer for that and then Krishna gives the answer and basically I suggest if you can find somewhere there is a direct translation of these what we call it sutras or verses of Bhagavad Gita then you interpret them sit and meditate on that and interpret them according to your understanding and I think that's the best way to do understand Bhagavad Gita because every verse and you will find that especially I found it that anytime I go back to it I find it new information even though they're the same verses because my life has changed, right? So now my understanding may be more evolved that I understand more fully now what's happening in Bhagavad Gita. So it actually grows with you. That's the beauty of all these Indian, what we call philosophical teachings, that it grows with us because our life experience increases. We become wiser we start understanding, okay, this could happen to any of us. Because until I went through total meltdown, I wasn't sure what the hell it was. Like I couldn't understand it sitting outside. But when we are in it, we try to understand that, yes, physically the strong body, but we can't lift a finger. Like I have gone through that kind of stuff. And then I realized, wow, this was what Arjuna was going at that point. He literally couldn't face the world like he couldn't hold his bow and arrow this strong warrior who had never lost a war and he went to that level of you know 
that I can't fight, I can't think, I'm shaking and I don't want to do this. And how many times we go through that, you know, at least once in our lifetime that happens for all of us. And then this is where Bhagavad Gita's all the questions about life and death, all the questions about what is karma, what is yoga, what is true yoga, and also atma, paramatma, dharma, all these concepts are very clear. You will also find that Bhagavad Gita, there is a, it said that Krishna is the one God. But if we see that the Yoga Sutra is fully based into Bhagavad Gita, you can see that lots of concepts are quite similar. But Yoga Sutra is not even talking about any gods or goddesses. Yoga Sutra is saying Ishwara Pranidham. What is that Ishwar is literally up to you. It could be nature, it could be deity, it could be anything. And so we are given this even freedom from that in our Yoga Sutra. That what you believe divine is completely with you. So that's what Ishwar Pranidhat. So you may believe that Ishwar is maybe nature and that's okay. Because if you believe in that, this is where the Bhakti Yoga comes in. If you believe in that, where our mind goes, our prana will follow. So that give and take of prana happens and we deepen our surrender and we deepen our practices. Okay, so let's take a look at like hundreds of thoughts. Obviously, we will then pay attention to what is more, right? in our thought process because they will be circulating more. But if you look at our five positive thoughts, if they are scattered, we don't see their strength. But if they become a feast, they are strong. And this is what we need to unite that thought and really become strong that they can face that hundred thoughts. Then another thing is like why meditation and how we bring it into our life according to Krishna. So the Krishna says that all the answers are within us because Krishna is within us. We all have that inner wisdom, the inner guru. And so just becoming aware of that hundred thoughts and five thoughts, or for example, unless we internalize our awareness through meditation, these practices where we teach our mind to calm down so we can see actually what is the true picture. So unless we start sit down for meditation and start noticing what is really happening with our thoughts, so what, what's really is that Krishna uses the word Maya. So what happens that the illusions around us, we start thinking that these are truths. This is what my true self is. But that is not our true self. We start identifying these hundreds of thoughts as our true self. But the reality of that is, is our thought is energy. And also the thoughts is energy. We are made out of energy. So if we constantly focus on negative energy, the negative thoughts, then we'll start vibrating with negative energy. So what if we just sit back and become observer and understand that, okay, these are hundreds of thoughts. So there are also five thoughts, which are good thoughts. And we start focusing on that. That is going to give where our mind goes, prana follows. So that will give those thoughts the strength. And that's what meditation does. 
it creates this strength within us to face whatever comes up. The outside reality may not change. The outside reality may not change. But what is going to change is our response to that outside. And this is what we can only strengthen ourselves and focus on ourselves through. And meditation is such a beautiful thing that it will get rid of all this maya, the illusion around us, which we think is true, our true self. That is not at all true. Our true self is very pure. Our mind is sattvic according to Sankhya philosophy. But what happens is through our senses, we absorb all these things and then it is going to give coloring to the mind. But mind itself is sattvic. So when we start stilling the mind, we start meditating or doing the pratyahara practices, all these practices is going to move us towards stillness and that stillness is purity, that the sattvic practices. And that is going to bring you towards your true self. And that's what essence of Bhagavad Gita is basically come back to your true self through meditation, through surrendering. And what are we surrendering? Surrendering whatever is not serving us. Let it go and come back to what is your dharma, what is your karma. All your human birth, according to wisdom of yoga, is to move towards enlightenment. Until we don't do that, we'll still be suffering. That's why the suffering is. Once we understand that uh, we, we need to move towards enlightenment, because if we see, we are constantly looking at pleasures, but we truly actually searching for ananda, the true joy, literally. Ananda, there is no direct translation. Ananda is that eternal bliss, we can call it. And that is the purpose of human life, according to wisdom of yoga. And till we do not acknowledge that, we'll go through the cycles of life and death according to yoga philosophy till we reach to that state of enlightenment. And that's what is true essence of being human, really. And we reach to that through meditation. We to reach to that through really just focusing on any physical sensations, noticing what's happening with your breath, even that can anchor ourselves into ourselves. So that's really a beautiful way to start. And then once you're there, you will know what to take next step because you are connecting with your higher self. So you know subconsciously what next. Thank you for joining me today in this discussion about Bhagavad Gita. This was part of a lecture I was offering on Bhagavad Gita. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate that, that you're taking this time out of your day. Don't forget to subscribe. Take care. Bye for now. Bye for now.